Daniel, thank you, and your worship team. Wow, that was so good, so good. Uh, Rob made one mistake. I'm from Fayetteville, Arkansas, uh, not, not Little Rock. Um, I love Little Rock, but I love Fayetteville a whole lot more. So um, the, I'm telling you, a, a total transformation has taken place. Last night was a third world bazaar in here. I mean, who was here? Raise your hand. If you love Jesus, raise your hand. Were you here? Okay, look at every, every hand. I'm going I'm to lie. I'm, I'm going up. Um, and the, who, with the auction, I've never seen that. The auctioneers. Literally, I, I went to scratch my nose and I bought two goat and a priceless piece of art. You know? We got to do this because if he had hair, his hair would be on fire. But Rob has been killing himself. Rob and Kelly and their team, I see them in the back left. I'm surprised they're not sleeping in right now. Will you guys stand up? Stand up, please. Let them, yeah, put his hand up. Thank you. Thank you. That was unbelievable. Let me do this. Can I pray just one more time? Let me pray, because I'm desperate for it, okay? Father, we need to hear from you. We have been in community, uh, in the bonds of fellowship. We have been lifting our voices to you, singing back to our great God and Savior. And now we pray that you take your word by your Holy Spirit and you wreck us, you change us, you conform us all the more into the image of your Son, Jesus. And we confess to you, um, boy, we are significant sinners. We struggle, and we want to get in the way. So take us out of the way. Cause us to be desperate for you, to be hungry for you, to be overwhelmed by you anew and afresh. Forgive us, God, when your word, your worship, your people ever become stale and boring to us. Your spirit lives inside of us. Change us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. It was uh, May 2008, and a couple of churches in our area of Northwest Arkansas came together to go to China, to Western China, literally Tibet. And we got into the city of Xining. And from Xining, we jumped in old they called Beijing Jeeps. They were just junky old things. And we, we drove across the Tibetan plateau, 8, 9, 10,000, 12,000, 14, 16, 17,000 feet up. And we were, man, we were literally just gasping for air. And we get to what's known as the heart of Tibetan Buddhism, the city called Yushu. And we can, us old guys, we can barely breathe. And a bunch of young guys were with us, some college guys, and school had just gotten out at the U of A, University of Arkansas, and they said, hey, they said, can we, can we take some food and some water and go into some of the outlying villages and just pass it out, just a cup of cold water? And we said, hey, you, you do it. Take a translator, take a guide, you do it. We're going to sleep. We're tired. We're trying to breathe. They said, we're ready to go, and and they went out into the the community, so to speak, the outer village, villages where the yaks were, and and the cattle, and all that good stuff. And they ran into an old Tibetan woman. And they gave her some food. 
And they gave her some bottled water. And through a translator, she said, what are you doing here? Why would you come out here? And these young guys, they, they said, we, we come, and they were able to do this. There's no one around, just this woman and, and their guide who was a believer. And so we come in the name of Jesus. I'll never forget this because they wrote it down and they came back and they shared these words. This old woman said, tell me about this Jesus. I've never heard that name before. And in that moment, I, I was reminded once again that it's not about me and my own little myopic world. It also reminded me that I'm it, that we're it, that we are the last line of defense for a lost and broken world. Having been rescued from darkness, we now bring light to a very dark planet and we bring it to very hard places. We're it. How can they believe in the one of whom they've not heard? Yeah, but <laughs> Lee, Lee, I got mine. My kids, they've got th my grandkids, they've got it. I, I've got this cool Bible story, and I read it to them. And right now, my kids are hearing the word. Of God. I've got mine. And how can they hear without someone? preaching to them how can they how can anyone preach unless they're sent the apostle Paul calls us and, and Daniel just talked about this ambassadors of reconciliation this means that we are representatives from the kingdom of God and our job is to bring back all peoples from all nations, from all tribes, back into friendship with God. Now the question is, how do we do this? There's only one way. It's, it's the gospel. You say, well, I, I've got this aunt. I mean, she's really good. I mean, she's single for, and she's like 70 and she loves people and she's got a lot of cats, but she's really good. And, and, and she, doesn't, she doesn't know Jesus, but she's good. I'm sure get a pass. You won't. But Lee, culture, you know, the culture is very inclusive. And there's even, there's even guys out there who, in the name of Jesus, they're writing books about how we're all going to get, we're going to get in. We don't need to know. We're not. There is, there is no plan B. Now, just in case, and I'm sure you know this, but just in case you don't, the gospel is the news that Jesus Christ, the righteous one, died for our sins and rose again, eternally triumphant over all his enemies, so that there is now no condemnation for those who believe, but only everlasting joy. God came into history in the person of Jesus Christ. He died in order to destroy the power of hell and death and Satan and sin, and he did it through the gospel of Jesus Christ, and there is no plan B. None whatsoever. And when it comes to the gospel, there's this urgency involved. You say, well, well, Lee, why the urgency? 
Because every one of us in this room and everyone who has ever lived and everyone who will live after us has one of these. Take a look. This is a death clock. And you say, oh my, whose is that? That's mine right there. Seriously, that, that's me. You say, well, how, how did you, you get to that? Well, you, what metrics did you use? Well, various factors determine my ending date, okay? I had to put in my age. Uh, it said, are you a smoker or a non-smoker? Non-smoker. Are you pessimistic or optimistic? Baby, I'm optimistic. Right? I'm, I'm optimistic. <laughs> I'm full of life. Uh, this one was no fun. What's your BMI? And they gave me a formula on how to do that, my body mass index. That was rough. Um, the day I was married or now? Now. And Ruth looked at that. She said, can you get back to the day you were married? I remember that day. And it said, when I put all the numbers, says, I'm going to die July 25th, 2039. That'll make me 43. <laughs> Don't do the math. But it's true. We all have a death clock, and the writer of Hebrews puts it this way, Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 27, and just as it is appointed for, for man, for women, to die once, after that comes the judgment. We all have an appointment with death. We all have a death clock. So let's do this. Let's not waste any more time this morning, okay? Let's jump right, right into our teach. And here's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to look at four ways that we can take part in God's plan to get the gospel to the nations. First way to take part in God's plan is, is very simply we pray. We pray. Now, I'm going to do this. Um, sometimes when it comes to prayer, we get all kind of freaked out about that. Am I praying the right prayer? Am I praying the right formula? What does it look like? Here, let me give you a real simple definition, okay? Prayer is personal communication with God. Don't make it more difficult than that. Don't, 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 don't make it a formula, okay? I, I love this. Let me illustrate. The disciples are in, in a boat in the middle of a sea, really a big lake, the Sea of Galilee. And it's about four, five in the morning, and it's dark, and they're trying to get to the other side, and they're most likely, they're rowing against kind of a headwind. And all of a sudden, I don't know who saw him, but someone sees a ghost out there. And they say, hey, there's a ghost out there. And the Bible says they were terrified. But Jesus, who, who they thought was the ghost, immediately said to them, I love this as he's walking on the water, take courage, it is I. Do not be afraid as I transcend the laws of nature in front of you, right? <laughs> hey, take it easy. I'm only walking on water, right? And they're all like, whoa, whoa. And then I, you gotta love Peter. Peter says, well, is it really you? Yeah, it's me. Okay, can I walk with you? Yeah, come on out, Peter. Come on out. And he gets out and he begins to walk. And I don't understand this because it says he saw the wind. I'm assuming he saw the effects of the wind. And he sees the wind and he, he immediately he begins to fear. And he begins to sink into the water. And he's got no floaties on. And he's going down. And then he begins to pray. And he prays like this. Oh, oh God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, if his thou would ordain me and encompass me and put a hedge up. No, he didn't pray that way. Here's what he prays. It's, Lord, save me! That's prayer. 
As followers of Jesus, we believe in prayer. We believe in Lord saving. Now get this. As followers of Jesus, we believe in this and we pray this and we, and, and, and we, we, we pray this all the time. We believe in Lord Jesus save the nations. As of right now, missions experts tell us that there's somewhere around 13,000 people groups in the world. Mind-boggling. Okay? Um, half, half of those groups are unreached. About, about 7,000. You say, well, what does that mean? Well, 7,000 unreached people groups equal roughly 2.9 billion, billion people. I looked this up. North Carolina has 10 million people in it. Probably most of those 10 million people either have or will hear the gospel, hopefully. 10 million 2.9 billion people. Huh. You see, well, you can break it down. What does it really mean? Okay, it means there are 2.9 billion people who have no gospel presence in their lives. In other words, they haven't heard about the life-giving, destination-altering, soul-saving love of Jesus. They're heard. I was 17 years old. I was playing, it's hard to believe, I know, football in Southern California. I grew up in a non-believing Jewish home. My father was married four times, my mom three times, and, and I, I was just a mess, dysfunctional mess. And a buddy of mine, Jimmy Legacy, he invited me to this thing called a youth group. I thought it was a cult. He said, he said man, they, we sing songs and Pastor Bob teaches and we play games. I said, dude, I know. <sighs> Finally, after months, he says to me, he says, Lee, I don't know what to tell you. We got pretty girls at youth group. I said, what time does it start? I said, by the way, Jimmy, church planning technique. Start with the pretty girls, not with the Pastor Bob and the songs, all right? Church growth technique, all right? And I went there, and as the Holy Spirit will do, he began to work on me. And I got there, and, and, and there were guys there and gals that I knew were hypocrites because I partied with them. But there were some that I knew were the real deal because I watched them at school, a big, large high school in Southern California. And there was a guy there named Ron Nazem, an ex-hippie, tattooed. And he, this is really old. Rob will know this one. Um, <laughs> Kelly won't. She's, she's child bride, but Rob will know this. And so um, he began to play Maranatha songs. You remember Maranatha songs? We were rocking it with As the Deer. I'm telling you right there. Remember that? <laughs> Let's forget about ourselves and magnify the I mean, we were rocking it. And he was playing, but every time Ron would play, he would weep. And he'd share his testimony. Ex-rocker, drug addict, Jesus saved him. And I went to an old-fashioned revival, and I heard the gospel. And I had that moment sitting there in that hard pew in a fundamental independent Baptist church and the Holy Spirit said, next. <laughs> Come on down. And my heart was, Jesus, Jesus, you would die for me. I did, I, I'm, I'm, I'm messed up. My dad's an alcoholic. My mom's an alcoholic. My brother's a drug. I'm really messed. You. 2.9 billion souls that God loves, souls made in his image, each one an individual who matters to him. And now get this, please hear this. And because this incredible God has written you and I into his story, they matter to us. They matter to us. So we pray for them. We pray, Lord, save the nations. One of my mentors calls prayer, I love this, 
He says, it's the miracle of talking to the air and seeing the God of the universe show up. <laughs> wow. So here's what I want to do. I, this is just an addition. I, just, I think this is so important. Let me give you three reasons why we should pray. And I'll go fast here, okay? Number one, prayer changes the one who prays. It's in the, the, the place of prayer that I see God. I see myself in light of him. I see his greatness and I see my weakness. I, 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 I see his strength and ultimately I see my need. This morning I got up. I don't want this to sound super spiritual. I was honestly looking for Dunkin' Donuts coffee and I couldn't find it this morning. I got lost, but that's okay. And uh, I settled for McDonald's. My cup is right there. And I, I got to this park called Joyner Park. Have you been there, by the way? That is a gift from God right there. That is unbelievable. And I got there early enough where... Uh, the sun was coming up, and I was just yellows and reds and blue. I just, oh, God. Oh, God. You are mighty. Who are you that you're even mindful of me? God of the you? I feel so small. And yet you hear me. You care for me. <laughs> Prayer changes. The, the one who prayers. I have this little thing I call my chair of prayer. I don't, don't sound so spiritual. It's back in my study. And what I have to do is I have to avoid what I call my prayer of despair, which is right in front of the TV. I go around the prayer of despair because ESPN is always beckoning me early in the morning to check out scores. But I go around that and I go to my, my prayer, chair of prayer and I just get alone and I get small and I get quiet and I say, oh God, show up. You know me. You know me. Number two, prayer changes things in a world that, that we cannot see. Remember, we have three enemies, and they never take a nap. They never take a break. Short of heaven, they won't retire. The world, the flesh, and the devil, right? According to Ephesians 6, we're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. And I believe that those battles take place on, on the wings of prayer. Number three, just practically speaking, prayer changes things right now in our world. James says this, finish it for me. We have not because we, we ask not. Especially in our very, very first world cinch up my belt, pull up my pants, I can do it on my own, right? And prayer tends to be a last resort as opposed to a first resort. When we pray for the nations, when we pray for the 7,000 plus people groups to hear the gospel, our prayers intersect the physical world and in some supernatural way bring the God of the universe into, into the equation. Somehow by faith when we talk to the air, Jesus hears us and he responds in some supernatural way. Let me give you one more tip on how to pray. This is it. Pray with persistence. Luke chapter 18 and verse 1, then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, in a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared about men. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with this plea, grant me justice against my adversary. And for some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care about men, verse 5, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually wear me out with her coming. And right now, our American sensibilities go, yeah, stop wearing her out. God, you don't want to be wore out. And God says, wear me out. 
Verse 6, and the Lord said, listen to what basically the pagan judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? No. Don't just pray and move on. Keep on praying. Hey, some of you have been praying for something for a long, long time. A wayward child, an addiction, a lost relative, a lost man. Pray. Pray. I've got so many cool prayer stories. But in, in the moment, it didn't feel real cool. For a year, it didn't feel cool. For decades, it didn't feel real cool. But after decades of praying, God showed up in this person's life. Pray. Okay, quickly, just a few resources and tips to help us with global prayer. You, you, you probably know these, but if you don't, you can write it down. You can Google it later, okay? There's a book called Operation World. It's a guide for praying for every nation. You seminary students, I know you have it on your desk, and you pray through it every day. I know that. But for the rest of you, okay, get Operation World. Just Google it. You can order it. Now, I want to be careful. I'm going to tell tales, but I went to the largest Christian bookstore in the world yesterday. Um, they had no section for missions, you say, well, the Bible. Oh, yeah, I know. But, I mean, like, I, I couldn't find it. I wanted to grab it. Um, number two, Joshua Project. Okay, there's an app out. You can pray for unreached people groups. Get, get the app, okay? I was going to pull mine out and show you. It's over there. I won't mess with it. But this morning, I'm praying for a people group in Nigeria. 13,000. They're under Sharia law. There's not one known believer. And they've never heard the gospel. But there are people groups around them where they're believers. And so I was praying, God, send those people in with boldness and with power. Oh, God, bring them visions and dreams of, of Ishu. Bring them a picture of Jesus. And what's cool about this Joshua app, Joshua Project app, is that you, everyone all across the world gets the same app every single day, the same people group every day to pray for. I mean, it's a different group each day, but it's the same of that day. So millions of people are lifting up the, the, the Nehru of northern Nigeria right now, today, praying for them. Um, get a world map. Use the international section of the newspaper. I know I'm like the only guy who reads the newspaper now, but use the internet, okay? Missionary newsletters. However you do it, at our church, um, we have 67 missionaries from 20 different countries. Um, and so we take their monthly prayer requests. And my wife, who's our office manager and my right-hand person, she gets all those requests. Her team does, actually. And those go out, and we pray for those global workers. New set of requests each month. Um, start a small missions-focused prayer group. You be the change agent. Don't wait for someone else to do it. We have something called Global Vision. Every Tuesday, rain or shine, from 2 to 3.45, um, we pray. We pray for those requests. Uh, we, have, we call them global workers. Missionaries share, and we pray. We lift them up. We're going to do it. We're gonna, sometimes there's 15 people. Sometimes there's 50. Usually it's somewhere in between. That's what we're going to do. First opportunity to impact the world is to pray. Second opportunity is to go. Is to go. Jesus told his followers 2,000 years ago, and he tells us today, go and make disciples of all nations. And, and yet... This hasn't worked out so well. Roughly 95% of all trained Christian workers live right here in the United States. <laughs> there's, there's an old saying, it goes like this. Most people would be willing to go, 
but are, are planning on staying. We need people who are, are planning on going, but are willing to stay. And I added this, it's a little wooden, but if that's the most strategic thing to do for the kingdom. So the question arises, why, why won't we go? And I've written down um, some barriers, what I call some barriers to going from a first world perspective, okay? Here's the first barrier, comfort. It's what I call hardship avoidance. And we have to go back to the Apostle Paul and see what he thought about this. Acts chapter 20 and verse 22. And now compelled by the Holy Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. Now I don't know about you, but if I get a heads up from the Holy Spirit, I'm not going there, right? Paul says, bring it on. Why? Because I consider my life, verse 24, worth nothing to me. Oh, oh, that's interesting. If only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. James Calvert, um, a very old and very dead missionary, took cannibals on the Fiji Islands. He was en route there, he and his team. And the ship captain said, Mr. Calvert, uh, I, where I'm taking you, they will eat you. Do you understand this? They will kill you and they will eat you. They will cut off your arms, and your, they'll eat you. To which Calvert calmly replied, it doesn't matter to me because we, we died before we came. You say, well, that might be biblically, but it's not cultural. It's not wise. It's, it's not safe. Jim Elliott, who was martyred at the hands of the Aka Indians, put it this way, you've heard this, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Let me, let me paraphrase. Jim Elliott basically said, I'm playing with house money. I, I can't lose. See, the danger in our very, very comfortable world, our very comfortable first world, is that hardship avoidance begins to take place. Ruth and I were coming back from Central America a, a, a couple years ago. And I'll, I'll be honest, I've flown all over the world, all over the United States, but I had never flown first class. I never got bumped up. Um, I'm a cattle car guy, you know, way back there. And we went to get our tickets. We had to get our seats at the airport in the Central American country. And we got there, and we got them, and it was 4A and 4B. And I said, I, we were walking out to the plane, and I said, Ruth, 4B. She said, your point? I said, I think we made the cut. <laughs> she says, no. And it's a big plane, really big plane. Not like a little, you know, where first class doesn't matter. It's a big plane, right? And so we, and they said, we would like all those between like rows one and six to please come and get on the plane. For, I'm like, I'm in. I finally got picked. I'm with the cool people. And we get there and, and it was first class. And we get there early, and they bring us a hot towel for my face, rubbing my face. And they bring nuts that were warmed up. I have no idea why, but I didn't care. It was great. I'm eating warm nuts. And then they come out, and they ask for my order. I'm like, what, what, what do you mean? Like, what would you like? Would you like the steak? Would you like the chicken? I said, can I have it all? No, no, sir. I said, I'll have the, I'll have the steak, please. And they bring out real cutlery. Like, like I could hurt someone with it kind of stuff. Didn't say that on the plane, though. That's not good. And they bring out a goblet. I'm like a Viking. I'm like a king. That's big goblets. 
And I can have whatever I want to drink. And I mean, I literally, I am so giddy. I'm giggling. And finally, Ruth looks at me and she says, hey, baby, act like you've been here before. <laughs> and I said, but I've never been here before. And I don't ever want to leave. I was praying that we'd have mechanical difficulties so we could circle the airport. Seriously. Please hear this. First class is okay for a three-hour trip, but it's not okay to pursue a first-class lifestyle for a lifetime. As followers of Jesus, we think differently, we spend differently, we plan differently. Now get this, everything we do is in light of eternity. Everything. We recognize that hardships on this sin-cursed planet are to be expected. Here you go. Write this down. I'm not home yet. I'm not home yet. This isn't home. This should feel like when we were kids and we put on our dad's shoes. Clunky. Awkward. Strange. Second. Second. I'll, I'll pick up the pace here. Second barrier. Okay, it's just stuff. I won't spend much time here. Materials. I, I call it, you know, I, of course I stole this from someone else. Living for the dime and not the line. Or, now I did write this. Living for stuff and not for eternity. Sincerely, the American dream. Or better known as Satan's plan to keep us from doing what really matters for the king and his kingdom. Ooh, I got the new iPhone 6! But I could care less that my neighbors are perishing! Hallelujah! Oh, this is great. Awesome. Third one, this is kind of nerdy mission stuff, but I'll go with it. And this is what we deal with with our workers. Our workers have a hard time with community. Our, our missionaries, let me tell you why. Because in America, for all sorts of reasons, divorce, materials, independence, for all sorts of reasons, we struggle going to places where community is a high priority. Um... It, it throws us off a little bit because in the most of the rest of the world, everything is about community. Let me give you one quick example, okay? Um, a few years ago, I went to Mali. You can put that picture up there. That's, that's Pastor uh, Levy, and he is a godly man. I went there to visit one of our workers who's a doctor at a hospital in, outside of Mali, outside of Bambara in a, in a small town called Kuchala. And um, he said, Lee, we're going to take a a trip, it'll be, a, it'll be, you know, half day trip out to the village where we've planted a church. We got up at five something in the morning and we rode terrible roads and we finally got out to the church. You really can't see, but you see those trees and those people sitting there? That's the church. Church was under like four big trees. That's the building, okay? Um, isn't that great? No mortgage? That's awesome. That's, that's your capital campaign right there. Free, okay? And so the problem is we got there like it. You know, we left at 5, got there at 8 something in the morning. By the time I got there, I was wore out and it was 1,000 degrees, okay? And I'm supposed to preach and all that good stuff. And, and I get there and, and they're sitting under a tree. And under the tree, it's, it's a lot cooler. It's only 105 degrees, okay? As opposed to 120 degrees, you know, in the sun. And we get there and we had brought them some rice and some beans. And we gave them these, you know, 100-pound bags, the whole bit. And because they needed food, they desperately needed food. And we get there, and, 
and uh, uh, we have like this four or five hour church service. I'm preaching. I've got a French translator who, then, a bomb, then someone who tra- translates into a bombara. I mean, it's just unbelievable. It's a great experience. It's two or three o'clock in the afternoon. We've eaten out of the common bowl. That's a little different. I'm a little nervous about that. We're all eating out of this thing. That's okay. I'm here. God protect me. And so, um, and then I'm like, I'm wore out. And I have an elder with me who's a real big man. He is wore out. Two very white, wore out guys, okay? I'm like, okay, it's two o'clock, time to go home. I look at my doctor friend, Jason. I said, Jason, tell him we're ready to go. Jason says, well, oh, 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 Lee, um, in Mali, you have to ask for the road. What do you mean you have to ask for the road? You, you say it this way. May I please have the road? That means may I please leave. And you have to ask your host, who is Pastor Levi. So Jason translates what I ask. I say, you know, I'm thinking, this is great. And I put on my best pastoral face. I'm like, may I please have the road? And Pastor Levi says through, through Jason, our translator, he says, oh, my friend, you are my brother. And I love you. And I want you to sleep in my home tonight. And we will stay up all night and we will talk about the great things that God has done. Now, his home was me sleeping out in the forest with a lion, right? So, um, and I've already been up since, you know, four and got on the road at five and it's three. I'm, I got nothing left. He says, my friend, we are knit by the Holy Spirit. No, you may not have the road. This is first go right here. So I look at Jason, and he sees my nonverbal. I'm like, "Eh, Mommy. (laughs) And my elder, who's dying, literally dying, I got to go. I'm not going to make any air conditioning. He says, "Um, Lee, we'll ask again in a few hours. The elder stays put under the shade, and I proceed to go on a prayer walk on 40 acres of land in 120 heat. I I mean, literally, I'm... (laughs) Lord Jesus, I was just praying for me. I wasn't praying for him. We ask again, no. It's now 8 o'clock at night. My elders passed out in the back of the Land Rover. I'm just praying he's not dead. And finally, Pastor Levi says this, my heart is so full of what God has done, I cannot let you go. But you can ask an elder in our village, and maybe he will let you go. <laughs> i I've never prayed like I prayed. (laughs) And finally, the elder says this. He goes, reluctantly, I will give you the road, but you must take two chickens as well. And we did. (laughs) Chickens they couldn't afford to give us. Fourth, fourth barrier. Actually, fifth, well, I guess it is the fourth barrier, family. Jesus said to the man who was trying to bury his dad, let the dead bury the dead, come follow me. By the way, you never see that embroidered on a pillow at Lifeway, do you? <laughs> I was at Lifeway, yet. I just gave up where I was at. I was at Lifeway yesterday. <laughs> it's like, and may the peace of the Lord go with you, not let the dead bury the dead. Nothing there, you know. Parents, let go of your children. They're not yours. Grandparents, release your children and your grandchildren. Bless them. Don't curse them. Send them off. Last barrier, church. Church. 
I know this doesn't happen at North Wake, but unfortunately at many churches in America, missionaries are treated like that crazy uncle you hide in the back of the house. Um, the very affluent American church has to be very intentional about four things because if we're not intentional about these four things, they won't happen. Number one, prayer. Number two, the poor. Number three, the lost because they're messy and they're complicated. And number four, missions because missionaries are out of sight they're out of mind they cost a lot of money and they too can be messy and complicated and I always tell young guys at churches you have to be intentional in a first world North American culture about these four things because you'll get caught up for 10 years I was a directional leader at a church in Little Rock and one of those things that grew from, you know, five people to 1,500 and all that good stuff. And we kept building buildings and play centers and all that. And I just got caught up. And the people kept saying, more, 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 give us more. And we had, in, in those 10 years, with a church of 1,500 people, we had one missionary. I'm ashamed of that. I got caught up. I just got caught up. First opportunity to impact the world, pray. Second, go. Third opportunity, send. There are people who would like to be overseas but feel called uh, to stay. And that's a good thing. And to support those who go. That's many of you in this room. It's estimated right now that Christians' after-tax income in America is between eight and $900 billion. It's also estimated that we give $2 billion of those dollars to overseas missions. And you say, man, that's great. That's a bunch of money. $2 billion. That's one-fourth of 1%. One Here's a question for every follower of Jesus. Are we living simply so that we can give generously? Matthew 6, verse 19. Do not store it for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. God wants us to pray maybe go, definitely wants us to send. And lastly, if we want to take part in God's global plan to reach the nations, he wants us to welcome. There are close to 700,000 international students in the United States. It's like the Lord told us to go to the world and gave us all these resources to do it. But unfortunately, many of us stay and enjoy the comforts of America. So God says, if you won't go to them, uh, I will bring them to you. At the University of Arkansas alone, there are over 1,600 international students from over 115 nations. North America has become an international melting pot, and yet statistics show that most international students will come here to study for between four and six years, um, and yet never enter an American's home. Now go back to that community piece I was talking about. For most of the rest of the world, going into someone's home is unbelievably important. Statistics tell us that 85% of those 700,000 desperately, desperately want to go into an American's home and experience his family and his community, yet are never invited. Only 15% of those 700,000 ever walk into the, into the house of an American. Now please hear this. 
for many of those 700,000 students, they are in unreached countries that are very difficult for us to go to. But when they come here, I can sit with a guy from Saudi Arabia. I can be his language partner. And he can ask me, what do you do? And I can tell him, I teach God's word. And you got to understand this. The rest of the world loves to talk about the things that matter. Like in America, when we meet with people, we talk about sports and the weather. And I love both of those things, but they don't matter. You go to the rest of the world, they want to talk about politics and religion. I had a guy I was talking to from Saudi Arabia, and he looked at me and he says, why are you so afraid to talk about important things? Now, I couldn't talk to him in Mecca, <laughs> but in my living room or at the coffee shop or in my office, I can talk to him. God has brought the world to us. And if we take the time to welcome internationals into our lives, into our families, into the way we do things, we have an opportunity to share the gospel with them, maybe disciple them if they come to know and love Jesus, and send them back as global workers, as missionaries. Let me finish with one last story. It was spring break 2011, and I was uh, sitting on a mountain in a castle in Albania. Now, it wasn't a real castle. It was um, a restaurant made to look like a castle. But I was there with my oldest son, Levi, and uh, with our missionaries, as you can see them on the screen, Bonnie and Zamira and their two children, who are actually are from, you can tell probably, they're from Albania. Um, but they were international students that came to our church, fell madly in love with Jesus in the United States, went through perspectives, and, and felt called to go back to Albania. And they're doing an incredible work there. But I'm sitting on this mountain in this restaurant that looks like a castle. And we're sitting outside. And Bonnie says to me, we look over at another mountain, and he says this. He said, do you see that road, Lee, near the top of the mountain? I said, well, the, the one with the car? No, 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 a little higher. I said, that little footpath? He said, yes, my friend. He said, that is the Via Ignatia. I said, wait a second. Do you, you mean the Ignatius Way? He said, yes. That's the road that the apostle Paul traveled on when he came through central Albania on his way to southern Albania to the port city of Duras. I said, Paul, the apostle Paul walked right there, right on that road. Yes, he did. He most likely walked right through Elbasan, then called Scampa, that was their city, on his way to Duras. It's in the Bible. The Bible says that Paul traveled through Illyricum, which is now modern-day Albania. And I went home and I looked through the Bible, and Bonnie was right. Romans chapter 15 and verse 19 says this. And I want you to see it up there on the screen. He says, so from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum, I have fully proclaimed, here's that word again, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul, on his third and last missionary journey, proclaimed the gospel of Christ in, in Albania. And I felt like God was saying to me, Lee, look what I did with one old arthritic Jew with bad eyesight. I changed the world with, with one man who was willing. No car, no plane, no phone, no Twitter, no Instagram, no computer. Just an old man walking on the Ignatius Way, preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ everywhere he went. The power of one, the power of one who was willing. 
Let's try and just wrap our minds around this. Everywhere Paul went, he preached the good news, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus to lost men and women. He could have preached a lot of messages. He could have. He could have preached against numerous social injustices like slavery or or rights for women or for those who are poor, but he didn't. Instead, he proclaimed the only message that mattered. The gospel. That Jesus was, now hear this. There's a, a definite article here which means the only way. He was the only way. The only truth. And the only life. Everything else is fool's gold. Everything else is an idol. One old Jew on a mission changed the world. Hey, hey, we can do this. We, we have to do this. I had an old football coach. He used to say this phrase to us during the week. Two phrases. He would say, if you practice hard all week, it'll be money in the bank on Friday when we played our games. And he'd say this, don't leave anything on the field. Don't leave anything on the field. It's all going to burn. It's not going with you. Pray. Go. Send. Welcome. God's plan to reach the nations with the only message that matters. What's your part? What is God calling you to do? Let me pray. Father, I thank you for North Wake. I thank you that they get it, that they're passionate about what you're passionate about, that they're mindful that we have one life to live. That's it. No do-overs. So, Father, I pray right now that you'll burn in each one of their hearts, every person in this room, a desire to fulfill what you've called them to do. You made them to give you glory. And in doing so, you gave them at least one gift to use for the king and his kingdom, God. I pray, God, they don't leave it on the field, but they max it out. Teachers, servants, givers, evangel, God, whatever it looks like. And, Father, we pray specifically, whether they go or stay, that their heart is where your heart is, and that is on the nations, on the 2.9 billion people who have never heard of Jesus, the gospel. Father, right now, work in their hearts, I pray, as only you can do. Guide them to the place and the ministry that you have for them. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.